fishing before, and you were the guy that you weren't catching anything, but everybody else around you was catching fish, and you're just standing there, you're wondering what's wrong. Well, yesterday was the opening of trout season. I went with my son-in-law, Joseph, and we went down to the Manasquan, and he showed me this spot. And, and he hooked me up there. I, I had my line in at 8 o'clock. And there was a guy down a little bit further from me than he was down a little bit further. In a half hour, I caught eight trout. Man, I was just pulling them out, pushing and pulling out, putting out. And everybody else was looking at me like, what are you using? What are you do? I go, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just putting it in there and cutting it. Next half hour, I caught two more. And uh, they only caught one apiece. And so I'm up to nine now, almost ten. And I lost count, honestly. And then at the last half hour, I guess pride goeth before the fall. In the last half hour, it just dried up. And I think I caught all the fish in that little area threw them back in, and they were too scared to take the, the bait anymore. But that's, that's exciting. Well, this morning we start a brand new message series, and it's called The Good Work. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's poema. Poema. The Greek word means that which is made. It denotes that which is made. Now we get a little bit more insight into this word. When you start to realize that this is the word where we derive our English word poem from. A poem is one that is created skillfully, artfully. When scripture says that we are God's poem, what he is saying is that you and I are an art of work. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an art of work. <laughs> now, works of art can be interpreted all different ways. <laughs> you're a piece of work. <laughs> when I think of that, I think of the value of artwork. But we know that his work of art, his masterpiece, as some translates, was tainted. It was soiled. It was stained by sin. And as any valuable artwork is carefully restored back to its original, I want you to know that God values each and every one of us as his masterpiece, as his work of art, that he went to great lengths to restore us 
through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's why it says, created in Christ Jesus. You could say, we were created, and then we were recreated through Jesus Christ to be restored into his image. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. Above every other created things, even above angels, because we are made in his image. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, In Christ you are a new creation. And because we've been restored... We're restored with a purpose. The reason we were restored, refurbished, so that we could do good works. Good works which God prepared in advance for all of us to do. Each of us has an eternally designed work assignment. Each of us has an eternally designed work assignment. Each of us have been given an assignment, a task, with the ability, with a place to serve. Now over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at a person in the Old Testament who was given a task. He's an ordinary man. An ordinary man by the name of Nehemiah. Please note, he wasn't a king, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a warrior. He was just an ordinary man, like you and me. But he got knowledge. He heard of something that broke his heart. It crushed his spirit to the point where he just knew he had to do something about it. He was compelled to make a difference. And we see how the Lord gave him a task with the ability and a place to serve. Now, if you don't know anything about Nehemiah and what he did, the Bible tells us that he was a cup-bearer. And you might be thinking to yourself, what in the world is a cup-bearer? Well, to me, a cup-bearer, uh, many people liken it unto a butler. I like to think of it in terms of secret service because he protected the king. Well, how? Does a cupbearer protect a king? Well, back then, just like today in many places, there are those who devise a plot to overthrow government or to overthrow a kingdom. In order to overthrow a kingdom, you got to get rid of the king. So one of the ways that it was done in the past, is that they would poison the king's wine. 
So the cupbearer was given the job to taste the wine before it was given to the king. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was my job, I would want to make sure it came with great benefits. Good hospitalization. And that's why I think of it in terms of secret service. One day, Nehemiah was going about his ordinary day. Like, like most of us, just an ordinary day. And have you ever gone about an ordinary day and all of a sudden a knock comes on a door or you're at the grocery store and, and you see somebody that you haven't seen in a long time? Well, it was one of those days. Nehemiah was just going about his normal responsibilities and he gets a visit from his brother. Chapter 1, Nehemiah, verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And after small talk, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Now, in order to understand this conversation, I, I need to give you a little background so that you can understand what's taking place if you, if you don't know. But 170 years be, be prior to this moment, 170 years prior to this moment, in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was destroyed. Under the leadership of king, that evil king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And the Babylonians came and, and took the Jewish people to Babylon. They destroyed Jerusalem. They devastated Jerusalem. The Solomon's temple, gone. Just rubble. Buildings, rubble. The walls and the gates were torn down. The gates were burned, and the people were taken in exile to Babylon under bondage to serve. I'm sure there was much heartache. I'm sure that they felt demoralized. I'm sure they felt hopeless. I'm sure such questions like, what are we going to do now? We have no homeland. I'm, I'm wondering if they thought that life perhaps was over for them. But we know that God doesn't turn his back on his chosen. And in 538, God's favor came to the Israelites once again. And there were approximately 50,000 who returned to Jerusalem. Two years later, they start work on the temple. The temple construction begins. 
they work on it for about four years. They get a little discouraged. It's not like Solomon's temple. The work halts. And for ten years, they stop working on the temple. Then God speaks through the prophets Zechariah and Haggai that the work must resume and they begin in 520 B.C. And in four years later, the temple is completed. In 516 B.C., that temple is completed. But 71 years later, after the temple is completed, 71 years later, the walls still lay in ruins. The gates are still burned. And Nehemiah hears those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, they're, they're broken. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and, and the gates have been burned with fire. And when Nehemiah hears these words, not only hears but listens, all of a sudden he, he realizes that there's no protection. There's no protection from outside forces coming in once again and, and doing what Babylon did. There's, there's no leadership. There's no vision. There's no economy. People are, are just living amongst the ruins like homeless and, and they tried to restore the temple. But worship hasn't even started. And his heart is crushed. His heart aches. As to the report he hears about his father's homelands. What do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you hear something that breaks your heart, crushes your spirit? What do you do when you don't know what to do? I want us to look at the wisdom of what Nehemiah did and let it be a lesson to us. In Scripture, it says, He heard. I like to say, not only did he hear, but he listened. When he heard these things, Mark Batterson, a pastor down in Washington, D.C., just recently wrote a, one of his newer books called Whisper. And in his book, he makes a, a very bold statement. Mark Batterson says, learning how to hear the voice of God is the solution to a thousand problems. Come on, somebody. Learning how to hear the voice of God is a solution to a thousand problems. 
Have you ever been accused of selective hearing? <laughs> you only hear what you want to hear. I've been accused of selective hearing. Well, in his book, Whisper, he goes on and gives this fascinating illustration that took place a half a century ago with a French doctor, Dr. Alfred Tomatis, Tomatis who was confronted with, with one of the most curious cases of his 55 years as an ENT, as an ears, nose, throat specialist. A renowned opera singer came to him and he had mysteriously lost the ability to hit certain notes that were once in his range. He sought the counsel of other ENT specialists, and they all thought that it was a vocal problem. Dr. Tomatis otherwise thought different. Using a sonometer, now listen to this, using a sonometer, that which measures sounds, he discovered that the average opera singer produces 140 decibel sound wave at a meter's distance. At a meter's distance, the decibel sound wave that an opera singer produces is 140 decimeters. What can that be compared to? That's slightly louder than a military jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. And he says the sound is even louder in the skull. The discovery of this diagnosis, the discovery led to the diagnosis that this opera singer had been deafened by his own voice. The opera singer had been deafened by his own voice. That you can only produce a note that you can hear. If you can't hear the note, you can't sing the note. And there were certain ranges that he had lost And I asked, could it be that relational, emotional, and even spiritual problems are actually a hearing problem? Where because our voice, perhaps our ears have been deafened to the voice of God. With the inability to hear his voice. We lose our own voice or we lose our own way. Perhaps we have been deafened by negative self-talk. And because of negative self-talk all the time, we can't get, God can't get a word within, a, with, God can't get a word in edgewise because we just fill our minds with negative self-talk. Or perhaps we listen to the voice of criticism all the time and you can't believe anything else someone is saying about you. Or, or perhaps we listen to the, the voice of the enemy, the, the, the voice that condemns, the voice that says you're no good, the voice that says you'll never amount to nothing. And you start believing those lies where all of a sudden we silence the, 
competing voice of the Holy Spirit where we've deafened ourselves to the voice of God by hearing other voices that are louder. And therefore, we can't sing the songs of God because we can't hear his voice. Could it be that when we hear and we listen, we just sometimes don't care because of selective hearing or because we have made ourselves deaf to the Holy Spirit? When he heard about the hopelessness of his people, Scripture says he sat down He's, what? Come on. How have we been trained? Just don't sit there. Do something. And isn't that the American way? We hear of a problem and we take action. But look at the process that Nehemiah goes through. I love this. He hears. He listens. He sits down, he cries, he weeps. For some days he mourned and fasted. How un-America, how un-American is that? Don't sit there, do something. And there, he develops a burden and a And what I find so fascinating is that he is a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. What I find so fascinating is it's proved that, that Nehemiah had never even lived there before. He, he was born in exile. Have you ever watched something on the news you're watching about a devastation and you're thinking, wow, man, I'm glad I don't live there. Ever been, and you, you, you hear somebody talking about, you hear a missionary telling a story of what it's like to live in another world. And you're sitting there, man, I'm glad God didn't call me to be a missionary. Here is Nehemiah, a thousand miles away, a place he's never been before. But he hears of his, of his people. He hears about where his forefathers are buried and his heart breaks. His spirit is crushed. And I ask, what is it that breaks your heart? Two weeks ago when our superintendent was here, Don James, he got down in our business, he got down in our face, and he asked the question, are you really bothered by people who are lost? Are you really bothered by people who don't know Jesus Christ? Or can you just sit there and say, oh well. Are you bothered by human trafficking? 
Are you bothered by homelessness? Are you bothered by those who have been abused all their life? Are you bothered by those who have been neglected and impoverished? Are you, are you bothered by social injustice, hatred, and prejudice? Are you bothered by those who are bound by addictions? Is that what breaks your heart? Maybe you're called to be a voice for the unborn. What is it that breaks your heart? You know what messes with my mind? Every time a missionary comes. This March, man, March, I was so messed up. I was so broken, so crushed to hear about Mike and Hannah Powell. I mean, uh, Matt, Matt and Hannah Powell taking their four-year-old, their two-year-old, and their nine-month-old to North Africa so that Muslims can hear about Jesus. The Koreas who, who went to that remote place in, in Colombia where the cartels are and, and, and how they go there because they, they want to change the, the farming habits of the people and tell them about Jesus. I was so broken when Polly Brown, missionaries to Bolivia, Mike and Polly Brown, when Polly told them that story of that pastors in, in, in Bolivia whose, whose their child was deaf. And when Polly asked the pastor, does, does your child know Jesus? And he says, how can he, he know about Jesus when no one's ever told him about Jesus because he can't hear? Man, when I hear and see those stories and see the sacrifices. Just yesterday, I saw Sarah Donna Maria at the airport with all her luggage packed up to go to Cambodia. Man, it breaks my heart. Recently, you know what I sit and cry about? Not only those who are lost, but folks, there's a buzzword today. The buzzword among Christianity is the deconstruction of one's faith. And it breaks my heart to hear people talk about the deconstruction of their faith, how they've been brainwashed by the church, and how people are leaving the church by the thousands. Oh, we need a revival. We need the Holy Spirit to pour down upon us. We need a personal encounter with God once again. What is it that breaks your heart? He sat down and he wept. Listen. Listen, church. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. It says that he prayed. He went from sitting 
I believe, to kneeling. And he prayed before God of heaven. Do you know how insulting it is to God when we say, well, I guess the only thing left to do is to pray? Come on. Well, I guess the only thing we can do now is pray. Can't you imagine God up in heaven saying, what? All you can do is pray. All you can do is speak to the all-powerful, almighty, the ever-present, the all-knowing God, the one whom all things are possible with. That's the only thing you can do left is to pray. Come on, that's the first thing we need to be doing. What is it that breaks your heart, that messes with your soul? Prayer is, prayer is one of the chief overriding themes to the book of Nehemiah. In the short book of Nehemiah, we, we read how he prayed 12 times. And if it's recorded he prays 12 times, he must have prayed hundreds if not thousands of times. In chapters 1 and chapter 9, he prays a prayer of confession. In chapter 1 and 2, it's a petition. In chapters 8 and 9, he prays a prayer of adoration. And at the completion of the law, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. He listened. He heard. Until you hear... You will never know. Remember I said that about three weeks ago? Until you hear, you will never know. And until you know, you will never care. You will never cry. And until you care, you will never pray. And many of us don't pray because we just don't care. I love this process. When he heard news that broke his heart, he listened. He sat down and wept and mourned for days. He prayed. And then after Aligning himself up with God. Did you hear me? Prayer is not always about getting what we want. Prayer is aligning ourselves with God as to what he wants. Nevertheless, not my will, but. And after prayer, he got up. He stood up. And he took action. He, he, he went in before the king. And, and scripture says he, he never went before the king sad. But this day was no ordinary day. This day was different. This day he comes in with a countenance. And the king looks at him and says, whoa, what's wrong? The king, my lord, 
I've heard about my homeland. And the place is just destroyed. And the king says, what is it that you want? Hello, somebody. What is it that you want? And then I love there, before Nehemiah says what he wants, it says, Nehemiah prayed. <laughs> and Nehemiah says, if it pleases the king, your servant has, and, and, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me, please send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. My people are hurting. The city is exposed. And somebody's got to do something about it, king. But never miss out on the process. He didn't hear and go right to the king. He heard. He sat. He knelt. And then he took action. Can I? I don't know if. I don't even know how to say it, but can I just say thank you? Thank you for caring about lost people. Thank you for caring about missions. Thank you that our missions pledge has increased. $1,700. Do you know what that means? That means we can add to the 66 missionaries that we support already. We can add another 17 missionaries at $100 a month. Come on, that's huge. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're asking every family to make a pledge. If you haven't made a pledge yet, there are pledges out in the back. You can just fill it out and put it in the offering plate. Pastor Barney, you can come. Next week, we're going to take a look. Pastor Matt is going to unpack the work that had to be done. And with any work, you'll see that there is also discouragement to overcome. You'll also see that with any work, there are obstacles to overcome. Nehemiah is a master leader. And I do not believe that it's a consequence that we read in the book of Nehemiah how he prayed 12 times. Because behind his leadership was prayer. Don't you just love it? We hear and act. But a lot of times our motives aren't pure. He hears. He weeps. He mourns. He fasts. He prays. 
And then he takes action. Would you stand? Holy Spirit, rain down. Oh, the Spirit of God, rain down. 